Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Today, I want to talk about OCD and eating disorders. There's a lot to talk about when we're discussing OCD and eating disorders. There's a lot of gray in between OCD and eating disorders, and OCD likes to hijack eating disorders, and it looks a bit different. And if you're getting traditional eating disorder therapy, it may be missing the mark because it's actually OCD in disguise. So we're going to talk all about it and talk about the different ways it can show up. And sometimes it shows up together and sometimes we'll, we'll go all into it because there's so much to say about this. But before I get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. A couple of other announcements. Let's see what else is happening here. I do have my free series going on right now. I do it twice a year. It is a popular series that people come back to do every year. It's kind of a nice traditional, not traditional, it's a nice yearly routine or tradition to take the series and reset your mindset. And so this particular series, I do two series each year and I do them twice, each, each one of them. <laughs> and so this one is self-care for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD. And it really is self-care in relation to how you're showing up for your kids' struggles, your mindset and perceptions, looking at kind of what ghost you're carrying into the scenario. We're not coming in as a blank slate. We come in with our own issues, our own struggles, our own perceptions. And that really does impact how we are showing up for our kids' anxiety or OCD. We talk about our support system, the people that charge us up, the people that are depleting us. We talk about our community. We talk about so much. And typically after taking the full series, parents will tell me they feel rejuvenated. They feel reset. They feel more hopeful. And so it is free and it is just nice, good, free Quasi therapy, <laughs> not therapy, but quasi therapy. So join me. You can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. We have already jump started the series. We are into video number two, but I purposely developed my series where they are on demand. And so while the series is happening, you can watch the videos at any time. So you sign up, you get a link for the videos. There's three of them, they're pretty short, 30 minutes each. You get a link to sign up for the Facebook group that was specially designed just for the series. This particular series, I create a new Facebook group every time we do it. And um, you can we go on to deeper dives. I do live classes in the Facebook group, going more in depth on the topics that I teach in the videos. And you can catch up and watch those videos at any time. The series ends on August 11th. And so join us. It's going on right now. And video two was just released. So we're right in the middle of it. So I hope to see you over there. And what else is happening? I think that's about it. We could jump into this topic. I want to talk about this because there is a lot of debate about what is OCD and what is an eating disorder. Sometimes I see things being labeled as an eating disorder where I'm like, eh, I think that's just OCD. 
impacting eating or disordered eating. Caveat, I'm not an eating disorder therapist, so I'm biased because I'm an anxiety and OCD therapist. So I see things through an OCD lens. It is good to recognize that OCD and eating disorders are comorbid conditions, which means that you have a higher likelihood of having an eating disorder if you have OCD and vice versa. So there is a relationship there, but that's not what I'm going to be talking about today. So I just want to start with that. So yes, you can have anorexia or bulimia or variations of eating disorders and OCD, and they are somewhat separate in the way that they're showing up, but you have both of them. And that's unfortunate that OCD does have so many comorbid conditions, but that's not what we're diving into today. I'm going to be diving into the murky gray of OCD impacting eating. And so sometimes people call these eating disorders. Sometimes people just call them OCD. It really doesn't matter as long as you're getting the right treatment and the right approach for it. That's my opinion on that. So I have come up with, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of the most common ways, or at least the things that came to the top of my head. So, you know, not research-based, but the things that I've seen in my practice that are disordered eating. It impacts eating in whatever way you want to kind of think about that. So let's go through them and talk about each one and how it shows up. Because sometimes you do get caught up in the eating disorder world and eating disorder treatment is very different than OCD treatment, night and day. And that's the tricky part with comorbid conditions is one is treated differently than the other, especially when we're talking about OCD, because OCD is really treated differently than really any other disorder. It's a very unique approach when we're talking about ERP, exposure response prevention, It is treated differently than someone who has depression or someone who has an eating disorder. And so what may be helpful for someone with a typical eating disorder would not necessarily be helpful all the time for someone who has OCD with what I'm going to call disordered eating. You know, the eating is something's not going on that's typical. And that's my clinical explanation for that. And so uh, that's when it gets a a little sticky is really getting the right people to help your kids. So let's start with the metaphobia, (laughs) the fear of throwing up. This is a common one because, because when people have a fear of throwing up, eventually a lot of people make the association with what's in my stomach. And so it impacts eating on many different levels. I have seen people say, if I don't eat, then I can't throw up. And so I'm going to restrict my eating. Or if I feel too full, then I feel like I'm going to get nauseous. Three of us out of four in my family have variations of emetophobia. I had emetophobia as a kid. It's really not bad at all anymore because I've just done so many exposures in a natural way. And as a therapist doing exposures, that was actually kind of by proxy very therapeutic for me. (laughs) So my son will restrict his eating and his core fear for a lot of stuff is he doesn't want to throw up. It's not his only core fear, but it, it does drive some of the things. And Sometimes it's, I just, I feel, I feel nauseous when I eat, so I'm not going to eat. Sometimes it's, I feel too full, so I don't want to eat too much. I don't feel full. And sometimes it's, I don't want to eat at all because what if I throw up? And so you get very restrictive eating. The main difference in all the things I'm going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about moral OCD. We're going to be talking about body dysmorphic disorder. We're going to be talking about orthorexia and we're going to be talking about ARFID. And I'm actually, let me add another one. I'm going to be talking about pans and pandas because how can you not talk about that when we're talking about restrictive eating? Those go hand in hand as well. Hold on. I'm going to add that to my notes. 
Okay, done. And so the difference when we're talking about really the core fear or theme or the thing that's driving the restrictive eating is an OCD theme or in the OCD category. And one of the core differences is it's not about weight. The person is not necessarily concerned with body image. And we're going to talk about it with moral OCD because it gets a little gray with that one, but it's not, I feel too fat. Like I'm, I, I don't like the way I look. I look in the mirror and I'm so fat, which would be kind of more in the, the typical category of eating disorder. You know, I, I want to be thinner. I want to be thinner. A lot of these are not driven by that. And that is kind of one of the core differences when I'm looking at OCDs really driving this more than a traditional, typical eating disorder is that it's not about how they appear. Although we'll talk about body dysmorphic disorder as well. So there are some caveats in this. And some of these are, you know, people, depending on who you're talking to, will categorize these still as an eating disorder. If, if it's disordered eating or they're losing weight, you know, so I don't want to split hairs, but I want to talk about what's driving it. Because if it's OCD, like let's take a metaphobia, doing eating disorder type of treatment to someone who has metaphobia, and really the core fear is not about how skinny I am, but it's about, I don't want to throw up. ERP is going to be the best approach. And we're going to talk in the second half of this episode about treatment options and what that might look like, but that I wouldn't be focusing on the ERP is the, is the key for the emetophobia. All right, moving on from there, let's just get through some of these. Moral OCD. So moral OCD ironically can impact eating. And this, get, this is where it gets a little bit more in the weeds. I have worked with quite a few kids who had intrusive thoughts that you know, being hedonistic or gluttonous. Um, Sometimes they have a religious background and they see indulgence and overeating as a sin, or if they're not religious, just as being a lazy fat person, quote unquote. And so it's driven not by, I don't really want to be fat because I want to look thin and I want to look good. It's, It's more driven by, I don't want to be a bad person. And I'm equating being quote unquote fat or quote unquote lazy, lazy and fat as being a bad person. And even if intellectually they're like, I know that, you know, overweight people aren't bad, their moral OCD kind of overrides that. And so they can get into restrictive eating where they are looking at calories. So it can look very similar to just a typical eating disorder. They are looking at ingredients and making sure that there's nothing like saturated fat in there. So it can almost seem like a good thing at first because you're like, well, they're being healthy. And this does get tricky when we're talking about healthy eating. We'll talk about orthorexia in a minute as well. But it very quickly turns into very compulsive behavior. So I have worked with people where they are counting how how much they're chewing. They are scanning ingredients to such a degree that everything is perceived as potentially unhealthy or fat. They are obsessively counting calories in a more compulsive way, if that makes any sense. It's not rational. It's it's less rational than even your typical eating disorder. Uh, there could be a lot of compulsions around eating where they have to eat in certain ways or cut their food in certain ways or um, can't have their food touch other food or it will get contaminated. So now you can see we're in like OCD world when it doesn't make any sense at all. You know, like, so if you put my food on the counter and it's next to a bag of chips. Well, now I can't eat it because it was next to a bag of chips. So it can move quickly out of rational into irrational, but it doesn't have to. 
It could still be very compulsive. And it's the level of the extremeness of it that is making it more OCD versus the irrationality, but not always. So we can't gauge on that. So moral OCD can be an issue and it can move into kind of what almost looks like a typical eating disorder because they can move into, I want to be very thin because I don't want to be fat and lazy. Another one I've seen actually that I didn't write in my notes, I've worked with lots of kids also who didn't want to grow up. And so the intrusive thought is I don't want to grow up. And the core fear is different for each person. It could be, I don't want to grow up and die. And so really the core fear is death, but they are connecting growing up with death. It could be contamination. I don't want to grow up and get my period. I don't want to have blood. I mean, it could be really anything. I don't want to grow up and have to have responsibility, or I don't want to grow up and what if, you know, I become homeless, or what if I grow up? I've had kids who have moral OCD. What if I grow up and then I do drugs, or, you know, I have to have sex to have a baby? So it it could be literally anything. But one of the elements is I don't want to grow up. And if I restrict my food, my body won't grow. And so then it becomes restrictive eating. And with a therapist who's not skilled with OCD can look on the surface of that and say, you know, ask a child, well, what's, you know, the worst thing about eating? And they say, well, it will make me big, right? But they don't mean fat. They don't mean it's going to make me overweight. They mean it's going to grow me up. And so asking the right questions and being able to hear really what the core fear is can be crucial because again, we would approach that with a more of an ERP exposure response prevention type of treatment or more OCD oriented approach versus maybe a typical eating disorder approach. Uh, We might have to do both. um, And a lot of times we're going to talk about that in the second half. It's a team oriented approach, but really understanding what's driving it is key. So that's moral OCD. Um, And then we have body dysmorphic disorder, BDD. And that can get tricky too, because you can it can be very similar where it can seem like anorexia, like they they see themselves as fat. But with body dysmorphic disorder, they have a, a very distorted perception of a body part. And so it doesn't have to be, it's not about their weight in general. It could be their stomach. Their stomach is too big. It could be their nose is too big. Um, it could be their private parts. I've seen body dysmorphic disorder literally attack every body part, like crazy body parts. And I'm like, really? I don't even know what my private parts look like down there. Like, how can you be concerned with that? It doesn't have to make sense. It's just my ear just hangs a little low. It goes quickly into the irrational and they look in the mirror and they really truly see this distorted view of what they are. And so with BDD, you get a lot of plastic surgery as they become adults, a lot of, you know, just external efforts to change the way they look, but it's they're never satisfied because just like OCD, the doubt is always there. The insecurity is always there with BDD. And so it can target their weight in a bit of a different way. And so I have seen, I had quite a few boys in my practice who were very obsessed about having a six pack and they wanted to have muscles or something. And it really wasn't about their appearance per se. It was sometimes tied into their belief system, like an intrusive thought, where if I look weak, then I'm a bad person. Or if I look weak, I'm ugly, some sort of belief system that's tied into it. And so they will restrict their food eating as well, and they will excessively exercise. And again, for a lot of those people, it's not about their weight. It's about that one body part that they're trying to work on, that their perception is completely distorted. And so 
that one gets very tricky as well. All right, moving on from there, I just want to kind of cover these. And my hope is that as you're listening to this, it just opens your eyes to the overlap and that you can see that there's a messy middle and there's a lot of overlap between OCD and eating disorders. Orthorexia is often considered an eating disorder. And that is when people are trying to eat healthy and they're trying to eat clean, clean eating. It's very in vogue and OCD glumps onto that. And I actually did a YouTube video, a really short YouTube video, just introducing the idea of that a couple of weeks ago. And OCD can take any passion or any healthy habit and turn it into an unhealthy habit pretty quickly. And it gets confusing because people are like, she just wants to eat healthy. Like, that's a good thing. Like, why should I be concerned that she's eating healthy? But OCD hides underneath that. And when OCD hooks into clean eating, it starts to go way above and beyond healthy eating to the point where it's unhealthy because they can have such restrictive eating that they're not getting you know enough caloric intake. So they're losing a lot of weight. They're not typically concerned about their, how they look. A lot of times clean eating and healthy eating orthorexia is more about wanting to be healthy. And so you see people who have health anxiety or health OCD. You see people who have moral OCD and feel like a good person is a healthy person. You see people who have core fears of death, right? All of those things can drive orthorexia. Um, You might even have a person who is an environmentalist or a person who's an animal lover. And so they take that passion. And so they don't want to eat meat and they want to maybe be, you know, vegetarian or something like that. But then OCD takes it really far. And so you get into, I can't sit at a table where other people are eating fatty foods, or I can't sit at the table while other people are eating meat. I can't go into that restaurant because they serve unhealthy foods, or I have to eat my foods in a certain amount of bites, or I have to count my packaging. It it turns irrational rather quickly. It's similar where we talked about not having foods touch or feeling really, really bad after you eat something that is not in your rules, you know? And so then, you know, you can get into like self-punishing behavior, which can look similar to your typical eating disorder, but it's driven by the desire to be good, quote unquote, and eat healthy. And it's extreme and they wind up being very unhealthy, obviously, just like other people with other eating disorders. But what's driving it is different. And often what's driving orthorexia is more of an OCD intrusive thought and OCD theme versus I just want to be skinny. Um, And so that that gets confused sometimes as well. And sometimes parents are kind of like, I don't see what's wrong with this. Like she's a healthy eater. And sometimes we can we can create this theme inadvertently. I've had parents who will say things like, you know, maybe if she can change her diet, OCD will get better. And so we start to cut out things that we think will be helpful, like cut out the sugar, cut out gluten, cut out whatever, red dye, whatever they think might be helpful. And OCD is so opportunistic. It's like, oh, this is a great theme. And it can turn into an actual OCD thing. So we have to be super careful with how we present healthy eating to kids with OCD because OCD is just waiting for opportunities. doesn't mean that we can't foster healthy eating. We just have to be really careful about not making it too rigid or too, or too rule-based so that OCD doesn't take uh, advantage of that. All right, moving on, I want to talk about ARFID, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, which used to be Selective Eating Disorder and then changed. And now that one's a tricky one. I do believe that that's considered an eating disorder in general, but ARFID is not driven by 
the desire to be skinny. It's not about self-image. Typically, ARFID falls into three categories, and I don't like this, but I've already talked about, if you've ever heard me talk about ARFID, you've already heard me get on my soapbox about this, but ARFID can be a sensory thing. And so, you know, sensory processing disorder where like the lumps and the bumps and the sticky and all, all the food textures I have an issue with. And normally you see that that is like from toddlerhood or even infancy, you know, it's not something that just pops up all of a sudden. Um, so it could be a sensory issue. You can have a phobia type of thing where you're afraid of choking. And so that impacts and you start to get restrictive eating, or you can have OCD issues that create ARFID. And so some of those can be on, my son has ARFID, so I can speak about this on a personal level. It started off with him just, you know, not wanting to eat things that were alive. And I thought, oh, we can do that. We could be vegetarian. That's fine. Started off with some random questions of like, where does this food come from? You know, what is pork? Oh, it's pig. Uh, you know, what if they're watching me eat them from heaven? I can't do that. And then it moved to, well, are plants alive? Well, yeah, the plants are alive. Well, then is a carrot a plant? Well, you know, yeah, it's vegetable. Well, then the carrot's alive and I can't eat the carrot. And so it moved into the irrational pretty quickly where, you know, then couldn't eat Cheetos, you know, and Cheetos are not alive, but it doesn't make any sense. And so the restrictive eating started from there, but then it moved into emetophobia, the fear of throwing up. Um, He'd feel nauseous when he ate. And then sometimes he would look at it and OCD would tell him it's vomit or it's like a nasty cartoon character or it's something, it looks weird or it tastes weird or it smells weird. And so it's too chewy. And then we got into the choking thing. He might choke on it. He needs to drink a lot. He needs to spit it out. Lots of compulsions around eating. And none of it is driven by, I want to be skinny. In fact, it's the opposite. He values being big and gaining weight. He's growing boy, but he's not growing because of ARFID. He is now, but he's had restrictive eating for so many years that at 13, he looks like he's probably about nine or 10 in his body. And so it, it takes a toll over time. Um, even when you're really trying to get that caloric intake in, it does take a toll on their body and their growth, but it's driven by something completely different than body image. So we have to be really careful with that one. Okay. The last one I want to talk about is pandas and pans. And so restrictive eating is a hallmark of pandas and pans. And so it is a key symptom. Not everyone has it, but it is a key symptom that can be a diagnostic criteria for pandas and pans, which include like restrictive eating, incontinence, you know, it's like kind of sudden incontinence, decompensation in math skills, the inability to self-regulate to the point where you're having extreme mood swings and out of character kind of meltdowns. And so I do have podcasts on all of these things. I have many podcasts on emetophobia, lots on moral OCD. I don't have anything on orthorexia or body dysmorphic disorder currently. I have a lot of episodes on ARFID and I have some on pandas and pans. So just for those of you that are like, wait, I want to hear more about that. We're not going to go into that in this episode because that's not what this is about. But if you go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, scroll to the bottom and there's a search button. You can literally type in emetophobia or type in ARFID, A-R-F-I-D, or type in pandas and those resources will pop up. I do podcasts and I also do YouTube videos directly for kids and teens. And those keywords will pop up both the podcast and the YouTube video. So it's kind of a great way to search my resources in general versus searching on your podcast app, because uh, you might be missing something if you're not on the website. So with pandas and pans, the restrictive eating can be for all sorts of reasons. It can be that the food's contaminated. It could be 
my son has pans. And so it could be like the, a lot of the stuff that I described with my son. It can really show up in a lot of different ways. It just tends to impact eating and restrictive eating. So that's something to be aware of. It's not that every person with restrictive eating or every person with ARFID has pandas or pans, but many people with pandas and pans have restrictive eating and ARFID. So it goes one way, but not always the other. When we get back, I want to talk to you about what we do with all this and why it matters and why am I even talking about this? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So what do we do with all this? Well, I think the most important thing to realize is everything I talked about does need to be approached with an OCD lens. Well, with pandas and pans, you know, then you need to get uh, assessed by a pandas and pans doctor, and you need to get the medical aspect of things under control. And then it really helps to get a pandas or pans therapist who specializes in the different symptoms of that so that you can get really good quality care. That's going to be very hard to find, (laughs) but they are, I'm starting to see more people pop up with that specialty. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be a forever problem, but at least an OCD therapist, because most OCD therapists are starting to understand and embrace pandas and pans, thankfully. And so you're more likely to find someone 
with that expertise in that OCD world versus possibly the eating disorder world, but I'm not sure just because that's not my world. But when it comes to emetophobia and moral OCD and BDD and even orthorexia and ARFID, you're going to want someone who specializes in ERP and CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and you know, with the, the subspecialty of exposure response prevention. That's going to be really helpful. BDD is a, is a subspecialty. And so there are a lot of therapists that specialize in OCD and, and subspecialty of BDD because that does take a little bit of a different approach. That's a lot more cognitive. And so some, some therapists don't actually treat BDD. But when it's a combination, so I have treated kids who, especially kids with moral OCD and orthorexia, those two in particular, who really needed an eating disorder specialist and a dietitian. And so in my practice, I partnered up with a dietitian and an eating disorder therapist, and the three of us would see clients together. Actually, I had two clients that we worked together as a team. And so that was really helpful because everybody stayed in their lane and we would meet periodically and do a Zoom call and collaborate. We all had our role. And so with moral OCD, I had two kids in my practice before I closed my practice after my husband died who were very similar. They both had moral OCD and they both didn't want to be fat. And I'm saying fat because that's how they would vocalize it. I'm not being insensitive. And But the reason why was because they both felt like that was bad, quote unquote, and they both had moral OCD. And so there were other areas of moral OCD that was impacting their life that was outside of restrictive eating, but that was one component. And it was kind of like a comorbid condition because they were very worried about their weight. They would go on the scale. And so it had that typical aspect to it, but there was also the OCD aspect and the moral OCD went way above and beyond the food. There was lots of elements in both of their lives that were being impacted by moral OCD unrelated to eating. And so working with a team, if you are so gifted to be able to have that is really helpful because I addressed the moral OCD. I did the exposures around the moral OCD, the eating disordered therapist would eating, eating disordered. I don't know why I said that, but the eating disorder therapist would work on, you know, the calories and weighing them and all the things that, you know, an eating disorder therapist would do. And the dietitian would create like the healthy menu and the importance of, you know, getting all that calories into them and making sure that they're staying healthy. And so it was helpful because I was able to hear what they're doing. I was able to give them advice on how to word things so that they didn't kind of trigger the OCD. You know, we didn't want them looking at the scale. We, you know, there were certain things as far as the dietitian, we didn't want it to become kind of a compulsive thing or rule-based. And they would tell me things that would be helpful as far as their eating disorder. And so getting a team, if possible. Now, if, if you don't know where to start or your therapist doesn't know where to start, you can create your own team. This was an ad hoc team. I searched for, I don't even know how this happened. I actually think it started because the client, they were seeing the dietitian, and I think they were actually even seeing the eating disorder therapist. And then we just all kind of collaborated. And then I was able to do that for a different client with the same team. And so you can create your own. You can look up, you know, and find a dietitian and find a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and ask them if they're willing to collaborate with an OCD therapist. And that's really helpful. I do feel like you need to do that mainly 
for moral OCD, where that you know there's a concern about overeating. What's driving it is being good versus how how I look. But they're still like waiting. They're still looking at their waistline as evidence of success. And so, typically, you need to have a team working with them. Body dysmorphic disorder very similar. If they're targeting their weight and their stomach, it can be very helpful for the therapist, the OCD therapist, to work on the cognitive aspects of things and have someone who's very skilled in eating disorders to help you. I think that could be helpful. Orthorexia um, definitely needs a team because it is classified as an eating disorder by most people. And I do feel like you need that professional skilled approach related to eating disorders, but also you need the OCD therapy. The OCD, you know, that's driving the orthorexia needs to be addressed underneath or they're not going to get better. I don't know. You have with ARFID, I feel like you do have to get an eating disorder therapist who really understands ARFID. If it's OCD, I don't know. I feel like it has to be addressed by an OCD therapist, but that's my bias. There are people who work with ARFID. And for me, saying you're you work on with ARFID is such a general thing. It's like because ARFID could be so different. If it's sensory, then I want to work with an occupational therapist or a feeding therapist who works with sensory and oral sensitivities. If it is choking and a phobia, then I want to work with a cognitive behavioral therapist who can work with phobias and anxieties. If it's OCD, then I want to work with an ERP therapist who can address the core fears underneath that and do exposures. And so I really feel like you got to get that specialist in there. And so just saying it's ARFID, to me, it's like, my son who has ARFID doesn't need an OT or a feeding therapist. He needs ERP because his is related to his OCD and intrusive thoughts versus my older daughter who had ARFID as well. I know we're doomed. And she was like, she had major restrictive eating from infancy and was not able to eat solids until she was way into toddlerhood and was failure to thrive. But she had sensory processing disorder. And so she had feeding therapy. She had OT. That was what moved the dial eventually was her getting desensitized to her mouth. And it's still actually, I think she still has sensitivities and she's 19, but she is healthy and she can eat. But the key for her was feeding therapy. So ARFID is just a throw all category that I, you know, that's why I have a problem with that because the therapies are going to look different depending on what the issue is. But I don't know about. Unless it's an eating disorder therapist who specializes in ARFID and understands the differences in each one of those, I don't know. I think that would just be an individual thing based on their skill and their what, they, what they're used to working with. Because there are plenty of ARFID therapists out there. There are plenty of eating disorder clinics that say they work with ARFID. But if they don't have a really good understanding of OCD, I feel like they wouldn't be able to treat my son you know, or people like him, which is mainly the OCD category. Pandas and pans also very OCD oriented. Um, normally there's intrusive thoughts about the food that's causing the restrictive eating. And so really classic OCD approaches uh, with the medical approach as well is the way to go with pandas and pans. Sometimes you need a dietitian or you need someone who's monitoring their weight. And so I would also add, you know, involving a pediatrician who is understanding. And so with my son, when his ARFID was really bad a couple of years ago. I brought him to a gastroenterologist, just to, one, rule out medical, but then two, are there medical interventions that they can do to increase his appetite? We were getting to the point where we might have to G-tube him. And so I, I needed a gastroenterologist to monitor him. And so getting them on your team is important as well when you're dealing with restrictive eating 
And then the regular pediatrician, you know, I wanted to ha- I wanted him to have weight checks. I wanted his pediatrician to tell me when I should start worrying. And so for a period of time, not for a very long period of time, we'd go to the pediatrician and we'd have weight checks just for him to keep an eye on him and say, when is, when is this becoming an emergency? And so typically it was reassuring because he'd say, no, I mean, I know he's thin, but he's still doing okay. Luckily, currently we're out of that period of time. He's 13 and we go through patches. I mean, I feel like we'll go through a few months where he's eating a lot and then we'll go through like a period of time where he's not eating at all. And it just seems like a lifelong thing where I have to keep tabs on his eating because it happens really quickly where he just stops eating. And I won't notice for a few days. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh my gosh, he's not eating. Because who watches every little thing their 13-year-old eats? But I realized that I have to because he won't, he still really won't open up and be like, I've stopped eating. I'll have to be like, I haven't seen you eat anything in a few days except goldfish. And goldfish is always a bad sign because <laughs> when he's eating goldfish, it means he's on, he's restrictive. He's into talkies now. And so maybe talkies are the new goldfish. I don't know. We'll have to see. But the the main goal is to get the right kind of help. And I know getting help in and of itself is so hard, but it's even more important when we're talking about these overlapping conditions, because you don't want to go the full eating disorder route unless there is an OCD therapist on the team, or there's some collaboration or an understanding of OCD and, and how to treat that. And there are plenty of people who specialize in eating disorders and OCD, um, which is amazing and helpful. And there are plenty that aren't. So you just have to do your homework and understand that and realize what is driving this restrictive eating. Is it disordered eating caused by OCD? Am I dealing with an eating disorder and OCD? Because that happens a lot. Or is the OCD theme bleeding into their eating and causing restrictive eating? You know, lots of things can happen. So I hope that you found that helpful. I think it's just a good conversation to have. I will leave a link to that YouTube video in the show notes and on my website so that you guys can check that out. It's a very short video. We just got back from a very long trip and I was very tired when I had to record that video. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was only two and a half minutes long. But it's just an introduction for kids to understand that um, healthy eating does have its limits and it can be their OCD and not healthy eating. So that was kind of my purpose on that one. Maybe I'll make a a longer one down the road. I hope that you are finding this podcast helpful. If you are, don't forget to leave a star on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you consume this podcast. And if you have a few extra minutes and want to leave a review, you know, I greatly appreciate that. If you leave a review, I will be reading it. I don't see a new one that I am aware of. So if you leave a review, I will be reading it next time. So I appreciate that. Uh, Don't forget to sign up for my free series, Self-Care for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD. You can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. I hope to see you over there. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.